Hello, good morning, welcome to On The Bench. I'm not going to lie, it's good to be back at full strength for this podcast. I have Chris Nee and Brendan Sinone with me. Uh, how are you guys doing? Fantastic, Josh. Thank you for asking. I'm just happy to be on the podcast that, you know, I, I helped start and been part of every single episode. And I, I feel like the father who raises this beautiful, quirky child into like a, a little young man. And then Uncle Josh and Uncle Chris combine they take the baby baby on the bench to the zoo and now all this kid talks about is how great uncle josh and uncle chris are and i'm standing here like hey don't don't i pay for your clothes you ungrateful little shit sinone really puts the eye in team doesn't he yeah <laughs> this isn't about me though this isn't about me we did the podcast just because you were traveling on the road man you guys the podcast was really really good with the two of you your rapport i'm just jealous of it your rapport and your chemistry is is mm. evident and I just feel just, like the, I've been cuckolded again. You're angry that you drew the short straw and you had to go to Miami. Oh yeah. That's the other thing. I'm, I went down to the COVID capital of the state and, you know, to cover a 52 to 10 loss for Florida state. Fun uh, well, let's just get right into it. Um, Brendan, you've been home now for about 24 hours. You had a second chance to 12 hours. watch the game or a, a second chance to watch the game. What did we learn after the second watch? It felt like a bloodbath in person, and I'm not going to lie, it felt like a bloodbath when rewatching it. It was it was not very good as expected. Uh, the I, I don't think the game plan on either side of the ball was as bad as maybe we initially thought, or as people are making out to to seem. I think the big issue is just the this isn't a very talented football team. Uh, the angles that the defensive players take are, are just exhausting to watch how bad they are and how uninstinctive this defense is from not just a physicality standpoint, but just not, not knowing where the ball is going to go, not knowing how to play the ball in the air, uh, getting caught on read option stuff and just not being in a position to even be competitive. And that's from, from the level of linebackers and safeties on the offensive side of the ball. It just when one thing goes wrong, it spirals. They don't have the ability to get out of, of any sort of hole. It just, the talent to me guys is what stuck out. They were just, they were outclassed thoroughly by Miami in person and then rewatching it again. It, it just further emphasized how far away this team is from, from really fielding a, a competitive roster compared to uh, average above average or good ACC team. It just, it doesn't exist right now. This is a legitimate question. I've watched the game four times now since the original watch the three times since the original watch. masochist. Uh, I like to do that. Um, what was the defensive game plan? Like I, I've watched, and I, I know some of it was not to allow interior lanes for King to shoot. You could definitely tell they were trying to kind of mush. Um, but beyond that, I, I can't figure out what the heck they were trying to accomplish on defense. And some of that's because Miami just did whatever the hell they wanted for the first, you know, two quarters plus. So that kind of takes away from the theory of a game plan. But I, I legitimately watched it multiple times and still don't clearly know what they were trying to accomplish on defense. I thought King, that was one other thing that stood out to me is like the defense. So yeah, Chris, it was a weird looking formation with the three, three, five, but they were super spread out. And to be honest, like the defense, the first two drives forced Miami into third and longs and Miami just kept converting. I think it was one of the analytic websites. I'm blanking on the name right now had Miami converting on 60% of their passing down. So the national average is about 30%. So you're talking about like third and long second and long obvious passing downs. So schematically, like it got Miami where you want them. You get Derek King in a position where he has to 
throw the ball and take away some of his athleticism and the threat of RPO play action stuff, rollouts, all those kind of things. And it didn't matter. De'Eric King was cerebral. He was calm and poised in the pocket and he just found soft spots in the zone consistently against Florida state. He just, he picked them apart early on in the game and Miami got some momentum and, and the defense just couldn't respond. Cause again, it's not talented enough right now, or it's not coached well enough, one or the other or both to really make up for any of these deficiencies. And it just was glaring to me fellas on, on how bad Florida state needs competent quarterback play, because it just, it makes such a big difference when you have someone who can get you out of a bad position. Florida state doesn't have that. And that was evident to me as well on the rewatch, a good quarterback makes such a big difference. Yeah. And just last point for me on the defense as a whole is I didn't feel like they tried to get after King, which I'm fine with because he could burn you really bad if you do that. But at the same time, I didn't feel like they were very good in coverage. I felt like they were kind of soft in coverage again for the second straight game. You know, I just, I couldn't figure out what were they trying to take away? They weren't very good against the run. It, it was one of those games where usually you expect a team you're trying to make them a passing team. You're trying to take away the run or you're trying to allow to run or keep everything in front of you. And I just couldn't figure out what FSU was trying to accomplish. And it's because they played so poorly. I mean, I'm sure there was actually a plan. It just wasn't executed to any level. And that's because linebacker play, especially from the starters, was particularly bad. Uh, you know, Leonard Warner, Emmett Rice to Kalen Brooks. Uh, there's a Julio McCray. All four of those guys at those positions struggled. Uh, defensive line again did not get home. Go, just, go back and watch the safeties too if you want to get yeah. And, uh, like watch no, the no part safeties. no part of the defense was good. Renardo Green graded out well, and you know I saw that it's based on PFF grades. But I went back and watched, and like he didn't play that well in my opinion. I just there there were very few guys on defense that I was content with how they played. Murray Gaynor bad face mask, but other than that, I thought he played pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, would be tackled things that came his way, but he didn't make any plays that didn't come his way. That's always a concern. And that's sort of what he is at this point. I feel like, um, Asante Samuel did. Yeah, Asante, Asante was fine. He, but he, he missed two tackles cause he's trying to strip the, the ball and make right. a big play. He's forcing things. Uh, Josh, you can yeah. tell we're not, the, the rewatches weren't really kind to Chris or I. Well, yeah, the I result mean, didn't change. I mean, you guys correct. just kind of watched it with a more critical eye. So I, I, I wouldn't expect it, but my question to, to Chris is now what? Like we've heard the you know the, the word youth movement. We heard it with Willie. Um, we, we're hearing it now. But what does a youth movement actually look like? Well, I don't know that you can go full board youth movement. I know everybody and their brother wants that, and I don't think it's the worst idea either. We personally. said that dirt with the Willie Taggart era right. as well. But you can ruin guys, and that's always my concern. But I, I know you can't play scared, basically. But if you go full youth movement, you're going to have a freshman quarterback in there with a freshman running back potentially. And when the ball isn't in the hand of that freshman running back, he's going to get the freshman quarterback killed at some point. And that's just a natural order of playing guys who are inexperienced in game situations. So that, that's sort of why I worry about that. But do I think they should do it? Sure. I mean, it's it's exhibition season at this point. for this Why football. the hell not? So give me some names, Brendan. Like who, a youth movement involves okay. who? Let's look at it this way. So right now the offensive line is mm-hmm. already kind of undergoing a youth movement. They, I want to go back and check this. They have three 2019 players starting on the offensive line from the left to left side to center. And the left side was the side of the line that was really exposed on Saturday. 
Uh, so we but, don't see a great in, influx of young players. Those guys are working through it right now oh. on that side of the ball. Dante Lucas has to mature, first yeah. and foremost. Before anything else, he needs to mature. His inability to handle things when his attitude gets the better of him, you can't survive at that position if that's the way you act. You just can't do it. And then you have to play better. And Darius Washington had a fairly bad game. Um, I'd put Dar- Darius's lows were really, really bad. And right. his highs were, were good, actually. There were some good moments there. But the, in the, the up and down part of his game needs to be corrected. And it works in symphony. You know, when Pope's playing bad, Washington's probably going to struggle. And when Washington's playing bad, Pope's going to struggle. And when you're both playing bad, well, hell, then half the line is not playing well at all. So (laughs) that's where they were. I mean, it wasn't very good at all. Cam McDonald was a bright spot on the offense. Uh, yeah. Toe Philly, we can throw in there as a bright spot on the offense. Well, let, let's go down the the but, line. So, like the rest of the line, like, do we ever need to see Bavion Johnson play? Like, I like Bavion Johnson. I know what he's gone through to get to this point. But three false starts from a fifth year senior, uh, those are reps. I feel like that can be going to someone who's younger and has more upside at this point. Like the mental who, errors. Who are you putting in there? Uh, Thomas Thomas Schrader, Brady Scott. I mean, those guys are all younger than. That's what I was going to ask. I mean, do we go to Schrader? You know, I I just I don't know if Schrader's ready yet. I don't know either. I don't know either. And that's the up and down of the whole Brady Scott. Thing. I mean, but, but we've uh, seen Brady Scott, you know, in a you case know. like a baby on a guy who from an attitude standpoint, I don't think any of us would say he's a, uh, a bad weight on a team in the sense of having a crap attitude. Right. Baby, baby issue is he does things before the snap. A lot of times that are sort of inexcusable for a guy with his level of experience and practice and being around a team and all that. So I don't know if you fully move on from him, but I do think you sensibly rotate with him if there's a guy you want to get more reps, a Thomas mm-hmm. Schrader, for example. Um, I don't know if Brady's really that answer either. Brady, to me, is more the guy you bring in to try to stabilize things, but he's probably not good for you long term. Yeah. So I, I don't think – I'm not of the – I think some people want a full break and we go just young, young, young. I don't want a full break and you go young, 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 but I do think you have to infuse the young in there a lot – you have to play him. You have to give him reps. And if it starts clicking for him, then you do feel fully comfortable moving on to him. But I'm not one of these people that just suddenly you take a roster that's not very good and certainly not very deep. And you just cut it in half right now to go full youth movement, because I think that's going to burn you very bad on the back end of the schedule as injuries pile up. And some of those young guys just show they can't handle it. You know, you've kind of ended the relationship with the older guys and there are some older guys that need to end relationships with. I just don't think it needs to be across the board as I feel like some people have acted like since the game, it should be. The issue issue with that, Chris, I I think your point is, is a very good one. You go ahead and you make that, let's say you make a full committed hundred percent youth movement and say, we're just going to burn and churn this roster. Uh, you mm-hmm. leave yourself exposed at the end of the season, like Chris said, to injuries, to contact tracing, things like that, which whatever, like Chris said, is exhibition season. But the other downside with making that wholesale change is I think it kind of exposes what we've been saying on this podcast for a couple of years now. This is before the Mike Norvell era uh, and includes his first signing class too. the signing classes have not been what FSU standard should be. So a talent from a talent perspective, like, yeah, you'll find out whether Lawrence Toffoli is someone that can be a sustainable, really good running back because he showed glimpses of it. But I think you get exposed for, for what this is, which is FSU doesn't have the talent, especially from the middle of the roster and then getting to the bottom of it. And now apparently to the top of the roster too, based on the first two games, but, but the, the talent I think gets exposed yeah. in full on youth movement. 
And when we talk about a youth movement, we got to also talk about vets getting benched. So do we see a significant shift in some of these veteran guys getting told to take a seat? Well, yes. I, I think, I think you move on at quarterback. I mean, I think, I think everybody's seen enough there um, through his career starts in the first two games of the season to know that that is a position where it's probably time to just go ahead and move yeah. on. And I, I don't believe Tate's the answer at that position right now, but he's the only one that could play in that game. If Chubb was back and healthy, I think you see what you got there. You see if that gives you a shot in the arm. More than anything, this team needs an injection of guys capable of making a play, some positive attitudes, some ability to steer into the sun when things are going bad, which this team hasn't been able to do in years. And you, you just kind of maybe keep rotating and figure out who can do that because James Blackman mm-hmm. can't do that. I do you want to keep going into quarterbacks because yeah, I have thoughts on. Well, I think I, I said, no, let's, we'll, we'll, we'll get to quarterbacks here it. in a minute, but what yeah. other positions? I mean, obviously let's so wide, like, wide receiver, Josh, can we like Arvin Wilson and Tamari and Terry? I mean, okay. two yeah. guys that are, are highly underachieving this year, high expectations. Supposedly they returned turning down high draft grades. Um, neither has made a play, right? Has either really even made a play in 2020. Tamori and Terry did not have a reception on Saturday. Correct. He had a run for negative four yards. Now his knee is bothering him. Um, Marvin Wilson gets ejected. He, he hustled. He did tackle for loss. I don't yeah, think he was. definitely didn't have one the other day. Uh, and I don't think he had one against Georgia Tech. So, no, they've both been relatively Im- unimpactful. So, when we talk about vets setting. getting benched, I mean, who else is there really besides these two that, that fans are, are concerned uh, about? I, I don't need to see Leonard Warner running into the back of fellow defenders again. Give those all those reps to Stephen Dix Jr. at this point. Let him feel through the the growing Agreed. pains. DJ Lundy too. Like go ahead and give him ten snaps in a game just to kind of see what you have with that. Um, trying to think of what else. I mean, it's tough. Like at defensive end, like J. Rob just looks overwhelmed at times. But are you just going to give those reps to? Just do you give it to to Josh Griffiths then? And because he. He's going to have his ups and downs. You have Deontay Williams, who looked okay against Georgia Tech. He got washed out a ton against Miami. So I don't know like what the answer is at a defensive end. Uh, you don't have a whole lot of great options right now. He's, I'm trying to think of other positions here. I mean, safety. I don't know. I don't know. Warren, Warren Thompson's another guy that people would mention, even though he's not technically as veteran as some others. But mm-hmm. he's been given an opportunity and had a ton of drops in game one and didn't block, didn't do much of anything effectively in game two and certainly – had a pouty face the freshman receive the <laughs> freshman receivers i will say uh blocked well even before garbage time like when brian robinson was rotated in he at least was given an effort to block so go ahead and keep giving those guys at bats and try mm. to let them work through it like chris said not a hundred percent you don't start them necessarily but you get them into the rotation a little bit earlier i think that's that's important to do and see what you have with those guys podia mm. looked good right uh, in a couple a couple of reps later on, Kentron Podier looked, looked yeah, in garbage time. Garbage time. That's yeah. what it's so tough to judge. I know I listened to the podcast on L- limited reps, limited yeah. reps, but graded very high in those limited reps. And it is garbage time, so you're going against Miami's backups too. But still, you're going with guys who are showing you something, and that's all we're trying to figure out right now is who has a pulse, who gives a shit. Now, that's what you're really looking for. Is who who cares? Yeah. Like uh, people would want to move on from Devonte Love Taylor potentially because he's a veteran, but no, Love you Taylor can't. Was, 
you can't one because you don't have enough bodies to throw out there, and two, he actually I believe graded the best of any O lineman for FSU, and he actually graded pretty damn well. And let's and, face um, it, he's coming back next year if, if he does starting yeah. on this offense. Yeah, if, if anything, to me, he's a building block because one, I think he has the right attitude. He's displayed that since his arrival here, and two he can play tackle or guard. And if you can actually get a not tackle in here and move him inside, it solidifies that group a lot more. So again, I don't think the full, everybody's got to be young is the best idea I've ever seen. I just, uh, yeah. I, I was, I was hesitant to go to that on Saturday evening, Sunday morning. And after rewatching the game and thinking about the roster and thinking about positions, I'm still hesitant because I don't think the roster is talented enough to make sense to do it. And I understand you want to develop guys and I'm all for it. Get them more reps. But I, I think there's people that want a complete break from what was here versus what's new in quotations on the roster. That never happens. And that, that yeah, it never does. It never really happens. Happen. Anyway. Can't, I don't think it can happen with this roster. I don't think this roster is constructed well enough to say, we're just going to young guys and building for the future. Because I think there's a lot of young guys on this team who you aren't going to be, that. Well, I don't think they're going to be the key to a successful future either. I think by the end of the season, it's going to be more gradual, but you are going to see that. I mean, we even saw from game one to game two, uh, they started getting some of the freshman wide receivers in. Lawrence Toffoli had a bigger role in the offense than he did in game one. So I do think you are going to see that gradually. Maybe this just speeds it up a little bit. Uh, one other or two other names I want to throw out there who I thought performed well and we want to see more of. I mean, Jay Sean Corbin's a starter. I thought he ran pretty hard. On Saturday, I had no issue. He had a better game. Yeah. I agree. And, and the scheme, the scheme was really like some of the runs that they set up with the counters and to free him up to to have some nice runs to get to the second level. Like I thought that was an encouraging jump from game one to game two. If we're looking at positives, I mentioned safeties earlier on the other side of the ball. Brendan Gant at least flashed at me. Now he's still going to take some bad angles. I saw that on Saturday. He wasn't. Yeah. He at least is physical. He at least is willing to fly in there and try to make a make a play, and that is different than what we've seen at the safety position. Like Travis J wasn't, and he left the game with an injury. Travis J wasn't particularly physical to me on Saturday. Uh, Jaden Lars would be just looked a little slow. He just doesn't look like he's an impactful player. So I'm all for trying to rotate things around and figure it out and, and see what you have at, at the back end of the defense as well. Maybe Hamza will come back soon, and that will help things a little bit. We might not have all the answers for fixing this season, but you know who does have all the answers, Brendan? Who's that, Josh? Market Square Liquors in the lounge at Market Square Ooh. off Timberlane Road in Tallahassee. People were, uh, people were going there this weekend. I got a DM from, we'll just call him Doug. One, because I can't remember his last name, and two, Doug didn't give me permission to mention this on the, on the podcast, but I did get a DM on Twitter this weekend from a happy customer who went to the lounge and and said, man, they actually have some like legitimately really rare stuff. He had Elmer T. Lee, which if you're in the, the bourbon world, you know that's not an easy one to to find. And so he enjoyed a reasonably priced uh, glass of Elmer T. Lee. I'm not sure if that was uh, before the game. I guess it would have had to have been or during the game. But either way, uh, a little bit of a fine aged uh, whiskey is not the worst thing in the world when you're watching FSU football these days. So Marcus Square mm. Liquors and the Lounge. Uh, they have they have the goods, uh, what you need to help get through the season, uh, located off of Timberlane Road on the north side of town by I-10 and Thomasville Road. What time do they open on Monday morning? <laughs> <laughs> well, check out Market Square Liquors in the lounge at Market Square. You guys know where it's at off Timberlane Road in Tallahassee. Let's keep the show going. Um, I'm going to give you this, Brendan, since you have been the James Blackman apologist 
for <laughs> much of your time at Knowles 24 seven. Um, I'm not even going to ask you if James Blackman makes another start, but is, is it doable to switch QBs this week? Yes. Not knowing if Chuba is red, like, is it just safer to go with James Blackman or do no. we start somebody else? So here's my thoughts on James Blackman. I was hopeful that he was going to take the jump forward, a, a jump forward this season. There were indications in camp that he was improving, taking care of the football, making some good throws. Not always the most consistent with passing, but at least uh, at least capable of doing some things. Through two games, we have seen absolutely no growth. Now, I know the offensive line has issues. I know the wide receivers did not help him out against Georgia Tech, but you look at the way he's diagnosing the defenses against Miami, and the interception he had was just a, an awful anticipation uh, on James Blackman. There are, there are three defenders where he forces the football. He has no intention of even waiting for the other uh, crossing pattern to, to open up on the other side of the field. It's right there. It's a touchdown if he's just a little bit more patient. So the issue with James is that we're going on year four of this, and, and it's not much better than it was in year one. At this point, I don't know how you can continue to to put James Blackman out there and expect anything different. Yeah. So, so if it comes to your point, Josh, like is it safer to go ahead and put someone else out there? Like, why not? Is it even is it doable? Yes, I think it is doable for two reasons. One, Jordan Travis at least shows you that he's capable of doing some effective things in sub packages. I don't know if you can go out there and say Jordan's your starter. There's still really no emphasis on getting the ball downfield with him. Right. I thought he had a good and, game and other than the interception, which was do awful. You think, do you think this is a concern? Preparing yeah. a team for a Jordan Travis-led offense only to see him, you know, I mean, let's face it, he he injured his ankle on one of those runs. Let's say, yeah. you know, series two, he goes down with a bent, banged up shoulder and can't return. Well, you just practiced all week for like basically an option run offense, right? Chubba Purdy has to be available for you to do that to, to commit fully to Jordan Travis because mm -hmm. they would have some similarities and they can both run those offenses. Now Chubba Purdy did travel to Miami. He was throwing mm -hmm. around before. How do you look? I mean, he looked like he was just throwing the football around. <laughs> that's the, that's the thing is, is people were making a big deal. Some people were making, it a was deal. a crispest pregame. Well, no, 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 no. What I want to know, like, was he doing his dropbacks? I mean, was he just tossing the ball around on the side? Like warming up? I yeah, wasn't, he was just, I didn't see any. He was just tossing so the ball around. I mean, but that's all. Yeah. Sorry. Josh. But there's a difference. Like, I mean, if he's, if he's under center taking snaps during pregame and he's, and he's in the line, you know, snapping passes off to the wide receiver, that's different than him just throwing the ball on the field. during. He, was just, he, he wasn't running a simulated game. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the same thing that was happening in practice this week when people made a big deal. And yeah, it was a big deal that he's back practicing, but people were trying to make it more than that, that it was, you know, he was taking meaningful reps. No, he's mm -hmm. not taking meaningful reps this past week. He's been throwing the ball around. He's being very limited right now. Now, I think if you do want to break him in, if you do want to at least say, hey, let's build a package or two for Chubba Purdy, I think this is the week to do it because it's against an FCS opponent. You get to see what you have in him. If the shoulder is okay, if it's up to snuff, if you can get him out there and not worry about a re-injury. Mm -hmm. I, I will say this. I think people are excited to see more Tate Rotomaker. There were some good. There was quite a bit of bad and people were just excited to see anything anyone right all right <laughs> let's but, not give tate all the credit but i do have a, a narrative that i do want to at least address here with him and that's the you can break them before you make them with a freshman quarterback chris kind of mentioned that with 
with freshmen in general. And, and that's James Blackman. Yeah. And that's, and that's exactly the point I want to make Josh is people are going to look at James Blackman and what happened with him. And we've documented this well. James has had pretty much everything that could have gone wrong for him in his career. It's gone wrong. The one difference that I'll say with him versus the situation, either Tate Rotermaker or Chubba Purdy would be in if they get to play as true freshmen and have more expanded roles, the coaching staff here isn't halfway checked out, right? Mike Norvell's in it for the long haul. You have to commit to Mike Norvell right now financially. Yeah. Uh, Kenny Dillingham is going to be here throughout the rest of the season and presumably longer than that too. James Blackman's situation was so untenable because Randy Sanders had a countdown calendar of when his season was over. Jimbo right. Fisher was negotiating contracts with Texas A&M. Like, like the guys who were had their... Yeah, had, Walt Bell couldn't wait to get out of, out of uh, town. The Walt Bell, the next... So, so James has had so much inconsistency around him that helps explain why he hasn't developed. You at least will have a support system with the coaches, with the adults, with the professionals, the people getting paid to do this will be a more tenable situation than, than what James Blackman has had. Yeah. I'm just ready to see Chubba Purdy. I, yeah. I want to see, I, I think he, I said it on Sunday and Saturday night, Sunday, I think he brings the best mix of the other skill sets. And yeah, you know, I think they need to have both of those skill sets out there. They need to have the ability to take off and go, you know, Jordan Travis has some of his best runs against Miami were because of pressure and he went. I think there was one or two where he is in the pocket and then he decides he needs to go and he has successful gains. You can also obviously do designed runs with somebody who's an effective rusher, which Tate is not. And the arm, from what I understand, is plenty good. So I, you know, I, I, I'm excited to see it. I hope they can roll it out there. I think this is a in an exhibition season. There's no game greater exhibition than Jacksonville State. So I'm kind of ready to see if that might be the future and if it maybe provides a spark for an offense that has two touchdowns in two games and hasn't really been good at anything and has a receiver group that was non-existent for the most part against their rival. So I'll take anything at this point. I do get yeah. really worried about a scenario in which Chubba Purdy comes out and looks completely lost and doesn't do anything. Like I feel like the fan base needs him to be special, to have a glimmer of hope right now. And if it doesn't <laughs> happen that way, the anxiety ridden part of me is like, Oh God, what if he comes out and lays an egg? Sinone will, cl- will just clone his rock bottom column and like change, like remove the whole body and just put, well, we thought Chubba and <laughs> it didn't happen. Done like a 10 word paper. He'll just be done. He'll, he'll check out a hotel at that point. That'll be Sonone's breaking point. I can't wait. Um, we've, <laughs> we've, we've demolished this roster up and down. We've torn it to pieces, but we haven't really talked about this coaching staff. Um, I don't know if we're giving them a pass or what, but I want to turn the attention to the coaching. Um, I would say Adam Fuller is probably taking the most heat right now for the defense, the way that they've performed. I mean, giving up um, half a hundred to Miami in game two of the season. I told you guys that Charles Kelly wasn't that bad three, four years ago. No one would listen Hmm. to me. So listen, Chris, to you, we talked, we hit a little bit on it, but but what about this coaching staff and the job that they're doing just as a whole? Criticism comes with the job, and mm-hmm. I think it's certainly fair with the production, the way they played in two games. There's things that are better, not a ton of them, but there are things that are better, so I want to give due credit there. But defensively, I've struggled to truthfully understand what they're trying to accomplish through two games, and some of it's personnel and roster, so I need to accept that. But 
you know, I just, I don't know. I, I think, said something I, similar when Harwin Barnett was here. I know. I think the coaching staff, the proof with them will be more, how do they go about trying to establish what they're trying to do with this program? I, I think it's more a long view in the short term than the short view right now. So I think it's more, are they going to make a youth movement? Are they going to keep moving pieces around and try to find something that fits to kind of maximize what they do have? I don't think the roster is any good. I mean, I right. think people understand that if they've heard me talk about it enough. I don't think it's a good roster. I think I said in the preseason, I thought it was one of the worst rosters that FSU had had in a So long then time. going off of that, hold on, going off of that. The, what do you think especially the- needs to do is recruit. They need to recruit their asses off. I mean, if we're going to be perfectly honest, FSU is not going to get out of hole they're in unless they make a better roster. And the key to a better roster is recruiting and maximizing what you have in the portal as well as developing what you have on the roster. It's a so one of the issues on the defensive side of the ball, though, is the lack of talent. Do you think that yet another staff came in here, especially on defense, and underestimated what they were stepping into? Because we didn't see them aggressively pursue linebackers and defensive ends uh, you know, the way that they pursued offensive linemen and tight ends. I think they, they thought they were okay at those positions. Well, I mean, they went and got Lundy at linebacker. I think they like the young linebackers they have. Um, you know, I think Chris Marv is satisfied with what that room is becoming and what they're also bringing in, in this next class. Mm-hmm. Second, secondary, everybody loves to say it has talent. And I do think it has talent. It obviously needs to play better. We've also not seen Miko Dodson, which they brought in to help that group as well. The issue is they didn't bring in a true pass rusher. They they thought they had a good defensive tackle group. On paper, they did. Mm-hmm. They didn't bring in a true pass rusher. I mm-hmm. guess their hope was hanging on Kando. But and they tried to get the kid from um, Youngstown, Joshua. Right. And I, I had somebody on Twitter ask me, did they kind of mess? And I know we're going to talk about the portal later, but did they kind of it's miss okay. on the portal? And they, yes, but they also, they pursued guys who they just couldn't get to. It's kind of a two-way street. It's not just, hey, we want you to come here and the kid comes here. You know, you have to be mm-hmm. able to land them. And there's a lot of options out there. And FSU is not the most appealing option. I wish they brought somebody in who could speed rush from the end. I mean, they desperately need that. They needed that since Brian Burns left the program. So, yeah, I mean, uh, that's a massive issue. I don't, I don't think the defense is going to get drastically better because I don't think they're going to be able to generate a pass rush consistently without getting super creative. And when you do that, eventually when you put it on video, teams are going to figure it out and pick on you because you're taking away from something else to try to create a well, strength. But Adam Fuller also can't give up 50 points a game. Either. No, hell no. The defense has to be much, much better. They have to tackle better. They have to be less soft, especially in the secondary. They have be to be less on- soft. That's their that's, <laughs> Well, that, hey, that's a good starting point. They, but that's uh, the concern, isn't it? Like the defensive line gets pushed back on short yardage situations pretty consistently. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. linebackers, we talked about the angles. I mean, the, the, awful. The safeties, their angles, if you go back and rewatch just if you want to get mad, go back and rewatch the game one more time and watch the safety's angles uh, streaming downhill. Awful, awful. So that's stuff you can coach. That's not necessarily talent. Like you can't, you can't force a pass rush if you don't have it. I'm with you guys on that. Right. That's a deficiency Adam Fuller has. That's not his fault. The previous staff didn't recruit a defensive end who was capable of get, being twitchy off the edge. They haven't had one since Brian Burns, but they also don't have linebackers that can come in and I mean, watch Ventrell Miller play for UF. Did you? Did anybody watch the UF he, game? He loves to whack people. 
I mean, Gainer runs around the field like Gainer, that. Miller, Miller's a big. little bit. He does, Miller's but Ventrell Miller, I mean, he he creates his own tackles. For, you know, he's flying downhill. He's hitting well, people in the backfield. I said to Sinone over text yesterday, rewatching the game, I think the fourth time I watched it, <laughs> that the defense loves to just kind of run into people. Mm-hmm. And I like, like get they themselves running through engaged. Anyone. They love to get themselves engaged, and then they can't get off one-on-ones. They can't win one-on-ones. And that that, to me, is just – it's infuriating. Like I'd much rather you just ball downhill and try to put somebody on their ass and make it a 10 on 10 game. than just stand there and hug. And which too is often kind of what the we defense thought the, like they hug. We thought the defense was going, they do look like they hug. That's such a good way to put it, Chris. And against Georgia tech, I know that was part of it. Like the defensive line was snagging, right? Like they were trying to like engage with the defensive line or with an offensive line. Yeah, They just play cat and then chuck. Yeah. And then you're trying to chuck them over to one side or the but other. They don't do the chuck move. Um, I want a I want a wrecking ball crew, and we're not we're not seeing. And that. that's I don't, what we were kind of. I don't know if this group is capable of that. Like we were told. Right, hold on, in, in let's re- keep it. To well, I think you. I think the preseason. Let's be honest. The preseason fed us a whole lot of. We're being BS. told that they're going to be aggressive. That even the Memphis, when you watch them, I remember talking to Christian Fowler. He said, "Yeah, they do all sorts of stunts with the defensive line. Those guys attack gaps." Hayno was mentioned every day. Well, the every defense day. probably looked great in preseason because they went against this offense. Yes. So I think, it, again, it's a false sense of reality of what FSU actually has because they, you can't measure what you are against this offense because this offense is no good. They've scored two touchdowns in two games, including playing against Georgia Tech, who is woeful on defense. So, yeah, there was a false sense of belief in what the defense could be. And it's also been a bigger disappointment than just a false sense of belief because nobody's getting home. Nobody's doing an effective job. Amari Gaynor is the only defensive player I think you can say has played at a high level in both games. And Asante. And I was going to say, and Asante. Uh, what are you yeah. forgetting about Asante? To Josh's point, in the very beginning of this segment, he asked about the, the coaches – I'll say this. I'm not ready to write off any of the coaches yet because we're talking hand in hand with these talent deficiencies that are sprinkled throughout the roster, but it has to get better, especially on defense. It just has to. Yeah. And on offense, I think they look more organized, but let's be honest. They're not any much more effective than, than Bryles and Taggart were last year. They have less big play ability than what Kendall Bryles was doing. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense given what KB like to do. I do think the, early down success stuff is probably a little bit better. Uh, but as soon as they get off, it's just like last year, as soon as they get off script, as soon as they get behind the chains, the drive's done. It, there's no, and Miami could get behind the chains and be in third and long and still have a chance. Cause they had a quarterback to make it work. That doesn't exist with this, this team currently. Yeah. And Cam Akers helped to open up a lot of things for the offense last yeah. year because teams had to respect him. I don't think teams have any respect for FSC's running back room right now. And and Terry's the other guy that you have to respect in the offense, and he's, you know, not done anything effectively in two games. So not much you know, there to respect, right? He's like you can play you can play FSU entirely straight up, and you don't even really have to blitz because you're still going to get home because that O line's not going to block. It's just the offense doesn't have anything they can go to. There's no honeypot solution for. And McDonald looks okay. success. Yeah, but Cam's only going to scare teams so much. He played very well in the game. He was by far the best offensive player against Miami. Two games in a row, he's probably um, been the best Yeah, and he, he made the great catch on the seam against Georgia Tech, too. But, but yeah, we're talking about a tight end. Who, he, who he's was the, who he's was the third not best Kyle tight end. Pitts. He's yeah. not Brevin Jordan. He's not that guy who changes the game single-handedly yeah. at this point in his career. Yeah, and he wasn't uh, – while he did flash, I mean, he he wasn't even what I would consider like a go-to target. No. 
Although nobody, nobody really got to that. That's what we're talking about with talent. He's the third best tight end from a talent perspective on the field on Saturday. And he was FSU's most consistent steady weapon on offense. Right. Were you surprised? Well, we'll get more into that, but um, uh, do we want to talk more about the portal? I know we hit on it. Um, It's a no brainer that they're going to have to go back into the portal this off season and they're going to have to do it hard. Um, We saw the impact a successful transfer portal offseason can bring you. Just look at Miami's defense, especially. Um, Bubba Bolden in the secondary. You had Quincy Roche coming off the edge. You had Jalen Phillips. He had Jalen Phillips had the interception, correct? Yeah. 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 He also, he also had other transfer other portal prospect. He what? He also had a couple other big plays in that game. Yeah. And these are all transfer portal guys for Miami. Um what do you think heading into the offseason? I mean, when you look at the transfer portal, do you think that quarterback is is up for grabs? Do you think that they'll pursue a quarterback I, in the transfer portal? I don't. I, I don't think either. They, I think they want to build the quarterback room via the high school ranks, and I've felt that way since I got here, and their actions have spoken to that. I think the only other thing with the portal is that, yes, they could have gotten an offensive tackle. Yes, they could have got a speed rush defensive end. But just taking a body versus taking someone who's actually going to help you are two different things. And I think they tried to find guys that would help them, and they were unable to attain those guys. And they've had some bad luck with the portal, too. I mean, Jordan Wilson getting hurt, he was supposed to help out the run game as a, as a blocking tight end. Miko Dotson was projected to start at cornerback or at least be the, uh, the nickelback that hasn't existed through two games because he's been hurt. So that's a handful of guys already that are two guys of the handful that you took in that are – that are not contributors. Yeah, you can take all the guys you want in the secondary. If they're not getting pass rushers, it's not going to matter. And right. the pass rushing thing was kind of, I mean, they went after justice Reed. That didn't work out. That's where the, uh, that, that hurt them that he wasn't able to go to campus. If he does, he probably ends up committing. I don't did know he end up getting hurt anyway. I don't know. Is I think he play? did. And I think he petitioned for, for a ninth. Oh, a ninth God, he's going to be, he's going to be 30 by the time he's done. Uh, but they're, they're, William Bradley King. Wasn't that a no? They, yep. they kicked that the tires the on him for like a day and, and mm-hmm. kind of moved on from that. So I'm I, not I, so Brandon, I'm not sold that some of the names were saying like a justice. Reed. I'm not sold that justice Reed comes in here, even healthy and makes, you know, that much of a difference. Uh, from a, I mean, define make a difference. Like right now, like gets after the passer. I, I don't know. I, you don't have bodies at defensive end. Though. That's part of the reason why they're running that three three five thing is so they can try to get more athletes, more safeties where they think they have more depth. I mean, that's part of the reason why. What's up good. with Deontay Williams? Was that his, the, the yeah, Deont- he looked okay at times against Georgia Tech against Miami. Whenever like I saw him playing, I felt like he was getting blown off the ball. Uh, so that's a guy you spend a scholarship on to be a third string defensive end. Like that's the thing you could say, like justice Reed doesn't come in and make a huge impact. Probably not. But, but is he your third string defensive end at a position that needs help? Mm, yeah. If he comes in, right. It is uh, Bradley King is the hyphen uh, someone who comes in and is, is playing 10 snaps a game behind a true freshman defensive end and Josh Griffiths. Like uh, it's part of the issues is that some of the guys they brought in to help them immediately, have like who's been who's been a win on the in the transfer portal? Uh, Devontae Love, Love Taylor and, jo- and Love Taylor and Corbin and Corbin Love it and uh, and Jerry and Jones are TBD at this point for me. Mm-hmm. They spoke really highly of those guys, and and I mean they spiked the ball when they got them. They were so ecstatic to get both of those guys, and and both have been meh so far. And they're not one year guys. I mean to their credit, both of them sure. are going to be here for two more seasons after this one. 
Very um, true. And that was part of the excitement for the staff was knowing that, you know, they weren't just one year guys and that they were going to have more time to work with them. But I do, I do agree with you. They, they were um, going to be counted on this season. But the thing is they pursued Reed. They pursued Jerry and Williams as another one offensive tackle at Miami who played a lot against Correct. Them. Correct. They pursued those guys. They just didn't get them. Like yeah. that's the thing. Like people are like, Oh, they needed to do more. They did try to do more. There, there's a difference between trying to do something and being able to do it. And right now FSU struggles into being able to do it because, well, it's not a program that's easy to sell. That's what and I got worried about. It wasn't about. before the season and it's certainly not going to be after this season either outside of the, we're offering a ton of playing time because, well, we're no good and we got to flip this roster. Hear me out guys. The Willie Taggart conundrum was that while a really good recruiter, not maybe as elite as we thought, but it's still a good recruiter. The fact they had a top 10 class going into the beginning of last season with the off with the season they had before was, was impressive. It got to the point where he wasn't able to recruit impactful players to come in and make a difference because of the coaching deficiencies. Like they were just being negatively recruited to the point where they couldn't convince a Kayvon Thibodeau to come in. They couldn't recruit uh, Nick Cross to come in guys who could be impact players. They couldn't convince them to come play for that staff. And without those impactful players, they weren't able to overcome the deficiencies we saw on Saturdays with game organization and strategy, those type of things. This feels like the same exact scenario just flipped a little bit. Like right now, I Mm -hmm. believe from watching the offensive script and the opening drives the last two weeks that this is a good game planning staff for the most part. Uh, But there's not enough talent to really mask. Like you could still coach them to an extent to get a few points here and there, but you're still not going to be able to overcome the massive deficiencies that, that they clearly seem to have right now in the lack of development for years and years. Uh, so how are you going to start? Like, are you going to be able to really get out right where they ranked right now? Josh 18th FSU yeah. class. How are you going to get, okay, I'm I'm pulling a Chris. I'm getting ahead of myself. I just, I I get concerned that they're in another spiral in a circle where until they break through with maybe it's Chubba Purdy sprinkling some, some magic pixie dust on this roster until you get something to break you out of this spiral, it's just going to be this, the self-fulfilling prophecy of, of not being able to get the talent you need to, to get you out of, out of it. Yeah. I mean, the selling point right now for them, whether it's portal or a high school prospect is come there's playing time available we're flipping this roster and most of those guys aren't my guys you're my guy those guys aren't my guys and this is a process that we're going to go through i mean i think we saw luke altmeyer tweet you know trust process don't rush it or something like that i think that's probably very much messaging from the staff Mm -hmm. to him i think that's a good example of what you're going to see but you know you got to recruit at a really high level and right now they're not. They're recruiting yeah. at a good level. 18 is good. Look, they're, but it's not FSU elite level. It's not. And I know we they saw, can't, Chris, we've seen where 18 gets us. 18 right. does. Eight, and 18 gets us to where we are. Top 10 classes get us to where we want to be. The issue is you need a handful of guys who you know are guys that are you're going to be able to really build around and are huge pivotal pieces, both in the sense of. They're damn good football players, Marcus Joyner, but they're also guys that they project something about what that program is doing mm-hmm. in, in a national viral sense with recruits. It says that kid's buying in. I should give it a look and buy in. And I don't know that this class has any of that in it, the 21 class. You know, Brandon Jennings, a legacy, damn good player, but he's a legacy. Um, Luke Altmeyer, I like a heck of a lot, but he's ranked, what, 14th at his position. 
I think is a national average or 12th. Mm-hmm. He's somewhere in that ballpark. So he's not quite that quarterback that elevates that in that sense. It's and not. also how, how, how long can we ignore? And I'm, you know, I know it's only week one, but like how long can we ignore if Mississippi state is putting up huge numbers with Mike Leach in Starkville and you got a kid named Luke Altmeyer who goes to Starkville high school. Well, they have a quarterback in their class. Isn't Sawyer Robertson committed to him? Yeah. yeah Leach Texas. hasn't really, Leach hasn't really gone after Altmeyer yet. Which no, is, not yet, but also, okay. But also Ole Miss in, over there in Oxford. Oh, well, there mean, you go. Putting up big numbers at Ole Miss. So you got two in-state schools that came out in week one that just look like, Oh, well they got coaching changes and they're humming. FSU got a coaching change and they're not. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just presenting that. It's always worth keeping an eye on, but I don't want to feed in the fear because I think that at this point, that's all it is, but it's obviously somewhere if FSU keeps sloping downhill and one of one or both of those Mississippi teams slope uphill, Mm -hmm. you know, and Mississippi state, obviously big win played really well and Ole Miss, Scored a lot. Ole Miss put up 520 gave, yards on on UF. Yeah, and, I, I'm they, just saying they gave like, up 50 plus points and okay, really but never. When we talk, but when game. we talked before the season, we said you know FSU had they're going to lose games, but they can't lose. You know they got to lose pretty, and I think that's what they, Ole Miss they got to show. Ole Miss put up yeah. a shitload of points on the scoreboard, but lost to Florida. Yeah, and FSU's got to show improvement. They have not through two games, but it's only two games. Yeah. But they, no doubt, they have to show improvement. Even if it's a three, four win team at best, they have to show improvement mm-hmm. throughout the season. And that goes back to the whole youth movement. If they do that and they show improvement and they show some signs of that, it creates some mental momentum despite no real physical momentum on the field in the sense of wins and losses. Right. But they're they're in an insanely tough spot. They're they're not a very good team. They're not a very good roster. The recruiting scenario is not very positive for them in the sense of relationships and being able to pluck kids. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of a nasty little cycle for them right now. And I, I don't, I don't have a lot of optimism about the direction of the program as a whole. And that's not specific to this coaching staff. It took a hell of a long time for us to get here. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it began before this coaching staff and truthfully before the last coaching staff. So, but we're here now. And, and the thing is, they got to maximize every move they make, whether it's a portal kid, a high school kid, they can't take any bad on this roster. Um, a very good basketball coach locally who's won a lot of games about 20 years of working at FSU once told me that not every kid I recruit has to be a superstar, but I can't take any kids that are essentially dead weight on his roster guys that can't help. Him. I just can't have that. I gotta, everybody's gotta have a role for me. Even if it's a guy who's only going to play 12 minutes in a game, if you can block some shots, change some shots, grab some rebounds and feed the ball out to a guard and push it up the court, he has a great deal of value to me, even though he might not be the 20 and 10 guy like you want to have. So that's what FSU needs. They need guys that can score 20 and grab 10, but they also need the guys that can play spot duty and help them in a great way. Jordan Wilson in the run game, for example, was a perfect example of that. I think he is a guy who would have made the run game much more effective than Cam McDonald or Preston Daniel has been able to help in that regard through two games. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those listening that want a recruiting update, um, that just kind of keep an eye out on, on things. There was no fallout from this loss. I mean, Florida state didn't lose any commitments. They still sit at number 18 overall, number four in the ACC. Um, they have 16 total commitments. We think they're going to take somewhere between 22 and 25. You, you know, part of the reason they don't have a ton of fallout is because 
let's face it, you know, a lot of these kids on the commit list don't have a ton of top schools coming after them either. So um, they do have some big commitments who you mentioned, Brandon Jennings, Luke Altmaier. They also landed four-star offensive tackle Rod Orr uh, out of Gadsden, Alabama, Gadsden City, Alabama on Friday, the six foot seven, 296 pound tackle commits to FSU on Friday and then watches what happens to them on Saturday. But like you said, recruiting is all about selling and you got these young kids and you sell them on a dream to come in and play early and, and, and be able to fix what's happened at FSU. I think that the prospects that they do have committed um, are going to, are going to give them the benefit of the doubt right now. Like you said, Luke Altmaier tweeted something that sounded like he was parroting a talking point from Mike Norvell and Kenny Dillingham about trusting the process. So you can tell that the top guys on the commit list are still bought in. I think that's a great sign. Um, but you can't keep losing, you know, you can't keep losing the, the, the way that they are losing. Um, they got to turn it around. Let's you got anything else you want to do on recruiting before we take a break? I do not. Okay. Let's take a commercial break. We'll have updates from Mike Norvell, his coordinators. Uh, they just spoke at the press conference. So we'll talk about that on the other side. And we're back on the bench. Uh, we heard from Mike Norvell and the coordinators just a bit earlier today. Um, first, we want to get to the depth chart that was just released uh, during the commercial break. Brendan, initial initial reaction to the depth chart. I'm going to throw a tantrum and be upset because James Blackman's listed as the starter and three other quarterbacks are ors as reserves, and I don't have the ability to compromise with or Never mind. I can't talk right now. You okay, Sinone? You look like you need a hug. I'm tired. It's just been a long drive, a long day, uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of work on the back end that that doesn't necessarily show up in in content that we're producing. Just well, bu- buckle up, honey, because it's going to be a long ass season. All right. So, what, what, I, what I am going to say about the the depth chart is people are freaking out right now because James Blackman's listed as the starter. But use the context. There are now three quarterbacks listed on the depth chart. When a few weeks ago there were only two. Uh, behind him actually there was only one behind him initially there were only two quarterbacks listed initially now there's four total uh so if you don't see what what's happening here fsu is continuing to make some changes is going to continue to explore options chubba purdy being the fourth name that's obviously added to the depth chart as a co-backup with jordan travis and tate rotamaker chris i'm not crazy for thinking that that's not insignificant right i mean i think it's clear as day that that position is completely open at this point yep i agree I think that's what I take away from it too. I'm sure James Blackman starts against Jacksonville State. I know some people aren't going to like to hear that. I think there's a pretty good chance that we see all four quarterbacks play at some point if all four are healthy and available. Yeah, some other depth chart notes. There's now a running back and a tailback position listed. So at running back, Corbin Stillier, numero uno, followed by Sheffield or Douglas, Deontay Sheffield or Ja'Kai Douglas. At tailback, it's a Damian Webb or Lawrence Toafili situation. I think we're going to see a lot more toe of Philly going forward. Agreed. It's very clear. It's very clear. Staff is pleased with him. He's one of a few bright spots from that game on Saturday evening at wide receiver. Tamorian Terry is now sharing duties with Pokey Wilson. Pokey Wilson technically, technically listed Pokey's ahead of him, right? Yeah. I know it's, I know it's an well, or. It, it's Wilson then Terry as an or situation with uh, Tron's behind them. At the other receiver spot, it's another or situation with Keyshawn Helton and Warren Thompson as the two at the top. Jordan Young behind them. They're only listing two receivers because they added that tailback spot. 
Tight end remains the same. It's Cam McDonald and then Rector or Daniel as a reserve. O-line is still the same across the board. Uh, no change with or situation there. Main thing you see on defense, True Thompson jumps in there behind Marvin Wilson as an or situation with Corey Durden. Uh, at the linebacker spot on the weak side, the Will spot, Emmett Rice or Jaleel McCray or DJ Lundy. Uh, based off grades of that game, it's probably the reverse order because DJ Lundy was the only one that didn't grade out horribly out of those three. DJ Lundy played? I don't know that he played. You can't <laughs> you can't grade out poorly if you don't okay. play. But the other two graded out among the worst on the defense. I, yeah. I believe I believe I believe Rice was second from the bottom in grades, and then uh, Rice was I'm sorry, McCray was the worst grade, I believe, and then Rice was second or third from the bottom. Warner was right there with him to Kalen Brooks, or not to Kalen Brooks. Kalen Brooks was pretty high up. To Kalen Brooks graded high. I was I was thinking of uh Kalen Deloach graded okay. pretty low. Uh, I'm sorry. Talk about a disappointing development, Chris. They this staff was legitimately excited about the growth that they saw from both Emmett Roy Rice and Leonard Warner in the offseason and two games into the season and both of those guys starting jobs up for grabs. Yeah. And at this point it might be Lundy and Dix that take them. Dix is in an or situation at middle backer with Leonard Warner. And then the stud is still gainer followed by Deloach and Brooks. Um, in the secondary, Travis J still listed in or situation with Renardo green. We're not super convinced Travis J is going to be available this coming week. As we saw him on crutches this past weekend at the end of the game. Hampson Nazaldine again listed or situation at Buck would be. Um, I don't know if they rush him back for this one. I know he was close to having a shot at playing this past weekend. I don't know if you throw him out there against an FC, FCS opponent to knock the rust off, or if you just give it another week and have him roll out against Notre Dame potentially. And then uh, the second cornerback spot opposite of Asante Samuel is Jarian Jones or Akeem Dent. Um, no Miko Dodson. He's still banged up to our knowledge. Thinking specialist group, Ryan Fitzgerald as your starting kicker is a removal of an or situation from last week. Both snappers are listed in an or situation, Garrett Murray and Grant Glennon. And then on special teams return men, Travis J still listed. Again, we don't think he's going to probably be available this weekend or at least potentially won't be available. So a guy like Corey Ryan or Keyshawn Helton may step up in one of those roles. And that would be at punt return where Jay has been the punt returner and as a kick returner. Josh, on a scale of one to ten, how riveting do you find depth chart talk? I think there are some tweaks here. Um, I don't think the general fan is going to agree that there was major changes made to the depth chart, but it goes to what we said on the on the first half of this podcast before we had heard from the coordinators that there's it, realistically you know that's why I was kind of prodding like what does a youth movement look like and I think it was it's just what we saw against Miami I mean maybe a, more reps for some of the guys that we saw against Miami but I don't think it looks distinctly different I don't think the roster I don't think the starting lineup is going to look distinctly different and that's due to just simply deficiencies on the roster I mean the guys that are starting now are the best players on the team, you know, in the staff's eye. And, and that isn't going to change much by playing younger guys. I mean, yeah, we're going to get a different look at some, some, some players, but for the most part, I mean, the roster is set, you know, where the biggest issues are in the trenches, we're not going to see much changes to the offensive line. We're not going to see much changes to the defensive line. So I think they just kind of got to deal with what they got to deal with. Um, 
Chris, I wanted to talk to you. I wanted to ask you, what did you think about the tone from the coordinators today, specifically Dillingham and Fuller? I mean, it, it's guys who sound like they're searching for answers. Dillingham obviously wants more explosive plays in the offense, knows they have to get to that point somehow, some way, possibly with additional protection. Mm-hmm. Um, with regards to the quarterback, he was very much, I felt like he spoke about it as an open competition. That's always a competition. I asked him specifically about Chubba Purdy. He said reps can't be replaced, but he's pleased with everything he's been able to do in the situation he's been in where he has not been able to rep. Um, Adam Fuller, you know, I thought he kind of admitted that the three down front, you know, didn't work. That, he said as much. He said in yeah, hindsight, it, it didn't work. Yeah. So, you know, he he admitted to that fault, but they're searching for answers. They don't know what to do on defense at this point. They can't generate a pass rush. Guys are taking bad angles. Guys aren't tackling effectively. Plays aren't ending. There is no speed to the ball as a whole. There's no gang tackling. When he did dial up a blitz from the linebacker level, they weren't getting home. Yeah, and you know they got Safety's in some. They wanted to get in third down situations. That first drive for Miami is kind of indicative of what FSU wanted to force them to do. Mm-hmm. But FSU wanted to get off the field in those third down situations, and they did not. And uh, yeah, he sounded like a man very much searching for answers. And first time um, we've heard him sound like that. That's why I didn't yeah. have a problem with the scheme for what it's worth as much as others because they got them where the situations they wanted to. Well, and Papu just backed that up when I asked about the defensive ends and what they're trying to do. And he's like, against Miami, it wasn't so much them coming off the edge. They were doing a little bit more mush, get inside, eliminate interior lanes, try to push from the interior. The issue is that none of it has worked. Through eight quarters of football, they've tried a multitude of different things to try to get home, and they have one sack to show for it, and that's Raymond Mm -hmm. Woody and Amari Gaynor coming around the edge. They've probably had an opportunity, I'd say, at, at least another four or so sacks in those two games. And in multiple instances, they've missed the tackle, but they're, you know, you're always going to have an instance of missing a sack opportunity. That's a natural occurrence in football. The issue is that taking that rough number, about five opportunities, and we're talking about roughly 70 plus dropbacks that that's not going to fly. You can't survive that. The pressure rate's been bad. That's that's what I doubt. So yeah, I missed I missed Adam Fuller's part. So did he seem like kind of downtrodden? I thought yeah. Well, a week a week ago he was pissed off, um, and this week he certainly didn't sound pissed off. He just sounded like a guy who didn't really have answers for why they played so god awfully poorly. Sorry to cut you off, Josh. Go ahead. no. I thought just from observing, um, just just from observing the tone of every Adam Fuller press conference i've kind of sat through every one i thought for the first time he he sounded a little defeated he sounded like maybe i don't mean this in like a conceited way like adam fuller always sounds like the smartest man in the room it just means you know i always felt like he has control like he 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 understands what he's up against at least the task and at one point i think what summed it up all for me was he said that they there's nowhere on the field that they can depend on winning a one-on-one battle I think that kind of sums it all up. He said something very similar to that about Uh, not being able to win one-on-one battle anywhere on the field. And I think that sums it up. Like too much hugging, not not enough blunt force trauma, too much freaking hugging. He didn't say that. I'm sorry. But when you can't win a one-on-one, you're in trouble. What? Like that's so there, I mean, there are some things with the coaching. I think we can criticize that mentioned earlier in the pod, like the, the tackling angles uh, is something that needs to be better. But like, if you can't find pressure, whether you're blitzing or with just the guys you're rushing, 
what what can really reasonably be done. That's that's why like there's things to evaluate from top to bottom in this program and and even administration. Like every single level needs to be evaluated for how we've gotten to this place. But uh, if you don't have the players, guys, like there's there's only so much you can you can do, and, and the talent and development is maybe worse off than we had even anticipated in the off season. And we weren't super you know, bullish on parts of this roster. Right. But, but that seems like that's been disappointing to this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a few that we were have been a massive disappointment. Hello, defensive tackles. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. So how did, how did my boy Kenny Dillingham sound? Was he, was he chipper? Uh, wants more bang plays, more explosive plays. They got to get that, you know, him and Norvell both kind of guarded on criticizing Blackman. I thought both praise Tate for what they did. I, I thought an interesting thing Dilly said was that Tate went in there with confidence, played through it with confidence, even after the interception returned to the field with confidence. He was pleased to see that. He said that toe Philly was certainly a bright spot. I also asked Norvell about the young linemen. He said, they're going to try to continue to force feed them some opportunities. My biggest takeaway on Dillingham was early in the in his speech, he said that he needed to figure out what the team does well and, and keep doing that. And then he hit that topic again toward the yeah. end, said we, we he's like, I really got to figure out what we do well. And he he said they even got to simplify things. He said, if it means we do one play well in running that one play over and over and over and over, he's like, I got to do that. So he kind of harped on that a little bit, figuring out what they do well. Yeah, they're they're at the point as a team, it seems, players, coaches, everybody, of trying to find small wins. Mm-hmm. And that's just yeah. where they are as a program. It's all about trying to find a drive that goes well, a quarter that's played well, a successive drive series that's played well, getting off the field on third down. It's a lot of small wins that they need to collect before they can start putting it together and turn Saturdays into something positive. I have a little scoop for you guys just from working working the phones the last 24 hours or so. Were I, you working the phones or were the phones working you? <laughs> so I was trying to think of something clever to retort to, Chris. I'm just done. I don't You're got broken. it, buddy. You're broken. I'm done. <laughs> You're like FSU me. at halftime. Miami broke me. It, it broke me. Uh, I think there's an internal – I don't want to say a push, but there's – some momentum for Tate Rotomaker to be the legitimate starter. I don't know if that's going to happen this week, but I do think we see his role expanded to where it's not just mop up duty and let's just throw him out there and see how he does. I think this week we see another step forward to him be integrated into the game plan. Uh, Thought maybe that would happen this past week against Miami. I feel more confident now that that like you see him come in in a certain drive or certain packages built around Tate. I, I think that's that's developing and something to monitor this week. You're talking the good old fashioned. No matter what, he's going out third series in a game. That would be he's, he's getting that series. We have a script for him for that series. Yeah, I'm not confident enough to say that's definitely going to happen right now. But but I it's think trending that direction. Yes, yes. So that's that's my little scoop for you guys. You're welcome. I'm selling optimism here, fellas. Just passing it out. Dollar 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 bills, y'all. This is fun. This has been a great podcast. Right? We'll wrap it up like good yeah. old times. Yeah. yeah let's get cheer let's, wine. Let's crank, ah, let's crank it up. Early times. <laughs>